we love poorly. Like we, we, We're just not good at it. In fact, that's what this whole series has been about. How we tend to get love all twisted up. In a society, in this society, and, and even, in, even in the church world, we love poorly. From our understanding uh, and the place of sex to our treatment of those outside the church and even the rampant sexual sin in places of faith, love is poorly understood and love is poorly expressed in our lives and culture. I think part of the reason for that misunderstanding and misuse of love is that we really don't know what love is, what it means to love someone, and honestly, we just don't know how to love well. So I want to wrap up this series that we've been on for the last several weeks uh, by sharing some love rules this morning. Some love rules this morning. And then I'm going to challenge you to surprise someone with love over the next six days. Okay? I'm going to talk about some love rules, and then you're going to get that challenge at the end. So as we get ready to jump into love rules, let's take a minute out of pray, Okay? Father, thank you for loving us and loving us so incredibly well. In fact, you love us so well that we don't really even understand the kind of love with which you love us. And in part, it's because of that misunderstanding. We struggle to love those uh, who are near us and, and often who are in the closest relationships with us. And so today, Father, I just ask that you would um, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we would recognize your incredible love for us, and then out of that love uh, from you, love would, would flow through us to others. So God, would, would you help us to love well today? In Jesus' name, amen. So there are three main types of love, and I mentioned these, I think, last week or the week before, but I th think it's important for us to go back over them again, because remember, if you were here, I, I said this, that when the Bible was translated from Aramaic and Greek into the English language, there were multiple words in those other languages that were translated into our one word, love. And so as they talk about loving different people and loving in different situations, all of that is transferred, it kind of comes back to us as like one idea. And I think that's part of why we've gotten it mixed up so much. And so um, let's break those three down really quickly. The first one is agape love, and, and that's the unconditional love with which God loves us. That's a love for everyone. This is the kind of love that Jesus expressed to every single person when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. It's the love that's expressed through Jesus to every person in the world, past, present, and future, when Jesus went to the cross and died in our place. It's that self-sacrificing love, that love that cares nothing about what the receiver of that love is doing and really only cares about what the one who's showing that love uh, the, the attitude of the one showing that love. And so this agape love is like this love from God to us. It's unconditional and it's not based on anything that we might do. 
And, and so we've been talking about love and about God's love versus our love really over the last several weeks. And so if you maybe have missed some of the last three weeks of messages, I just want to encourage you, you can go to our Facebook page at uh, facebook.com forward slash real life Eldorado. Uh, you can find those messages there. Just scroll through that news feed. You can go to our website at reallifecc.us or you can go to our Vimeo site uh, at reallifecc.us. And you can find those messages there. And just encourage you to, to, to go back and, and watch those as we talk about love and what that really means. So the first type of love that we find in the Bible is God's love for us. It's unconditional love. And the word used is agape. The second word that's used is phileo. Now this word is the word that describes brotherly love or familial love. It's the kind of love that is expressed from parents to children and from children to parents or between siblings. It's familial love and it's the kind of love that believers are told to have each for the other. So if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, I'm supposed to love you like I love my family, right? Now I've shared a little bit about my family there's some things about my family I don't love so much, but they're still family, right? And so when there's a problem, when there's a challenge, when there's a struggle, we show up because we're family. And, and that's what phileo means. It's this brotherly kind of love. We understand that families aren't perfect, but they are protective, right? And so I can beat up on my sister, but if you say anything bad about her, I'm going to beat up on you. And then that's how that goes. And the same thing is true of our faith family. So we want to recognize that, that being a part of the family of faith and, and expressing this phileo love to one another doesn't mean that there won't be fights within the family. It just means that there's an abundance of forgiveness. And we get over it quickly. Okay, I'm not going to be offended about that because you're my family and we can move on. The last kind of, of love or the third main type of love that's talked about in the, in the Bible and is not talked about nearly as much as uh, phileo and agape, is the word eros. Now, this type of love is exclusive in the Bible to the marriage covenant. And I want to make sure that you hear that because I think we come to church sometimes and stuff just, whoo, you know, if I had hair, you'd see it. Like, whoo, just right over our heads and we don't miss it. We, well, later we're like, I never heard that before. So I want to make sure that you hear this this morning. The eros kind of love, the romantic love that the Bible talks about, is used exclusively within the confines of the marriage covenant. This kind of love, this type of love, is reserved for that special love between a husband and a wife. Now, if you've got younger kids in here, just forgive me and you talk about this with them later, but this is all Bible stuff, okay? So here it goes. This eros kind of love is not only for procreation, it's for recreation. It's not meant just for procreation, it's meant for recreation. God meant us to enjoy this type of love. It was created to be a regular and consistent part of the marriage relationship. Let me say that again. It was meant and created to be a regular and consistent part of the marriage relationship. That's what, dude, you can clap. It's cool. However, okay, 
This is how it was created. It was always created to be confined within the marriage covenant. Okay. The church has long had difficulty reconciling the sexual and the spiritual. And, and sometimes we want to say that they're separate things and that they're, they're two different sides. We got the flesh kind of thing and then we got the spirit kind of thing over there and they're, they're not combined. That's, that's not the case. The, the, the Bible tells us that God created our sexuality and, and He created it to be used within the appropriate context within marriage and is to be beautiful, okay? But we've misunderstood it. We've got it all twisted up. And I believe that if we understand God's love, if we understand what love really is, the healthier our love and our lives will be. And so when we learn to love like Jesus, we learn to understand the role of love in our lives and in our faith, then we'll look more like Jesus. We'll treat others with greater love and we'll experience fewer problems in our love lives. So it's important for us to get this right. So as we get ready to tackle the ins and outs of, of love, let me just say that I recognize that this is a difficult topic, especially in the church. The unspoken truth or reality in the church is that, is that marriage is not a guarantee for any of us. And, and marriage is not the pinnacle of our existence as believers in Jesus. In fact, many people can and will live fulfilling lives of celibacy and singleness, including those who are same-sex attracted. But it's important for everyone, Christian and not, to build deep and meaningful relationships outside of sex and mere physical Attraction. It's important for us to have good, solid relationships with others. So let's get love figured out. Married, single, divorced, widowed, or it's complicated on your Facebook status? Because it's not our relationship status that, that brings people to Jesus, okay? It's, it's, it's not our relationship status that brings people to Jesus, it's our love. And I think in today's culture, most people don't expect to be loved or to receive love, especially from followers of Jesus. And isn't that a sad place that we've got to in our lives? Where the one who loved us so much that he gave his life for us and for every other person in the world, all of the people outside the walls of the church don't expect us to love them like Jesus. And because we don't love them like Jesus, they think Jesus doesn't love them. So if you get nothing else out of our time together today, I want you to remember this about love. Love treats everyone better than expected. Love treats everyone better than they expect. That's true of Jesus' love for us. It's true of Jesus' love for everyone else who's not us, okay? The love of God in Jesus is not just for us who show up here on Sunday morning. And this should be true of our love for others as followers of Jesus. 
So we're going to look this morning in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 9. That's going to be our text today. And so if you have your uh, phone, a, a Bible app, um, if you're Sarah, you may need to increase the font size on your phone so you can follow along. Uh, or you can just look up on the screen and you can follow along because we'll put it up there for your um, convenience. By the way, I'm not a, a afraid of this. I know some of you, and maybe if you're new to, to real life, I know we've got quite a few of you, you're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Um, we have people take pictures of the screen all the time. So if you need to remember something or remember the text or whatever, just uh, snap a picture of the screen. It'll, it'll be cool. And if you get my pretty face in there, bonus points for you. Okay. So here is uh, Romans chapter 12, beginning of verse 9. Paul writes this. The apostle Paul, one of Jesus' uh, uh, followers. He says this. Love must be sincere. So the overarching thing, he says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Then he gets into this kind of nitty-gritty stuff. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, be patient in affliction, be faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Okay, just kind of think that's group one, set that aside. Next he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Okay, there's group two. We're going to set that off to the side. Next he finishes up this way. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So Paul is writing this text from the town of Corinth, the city of Corinth. He's in, uh, he's in kind of house arrest, and he's writing to the believers in the city of Rome. Christianity continues to spread across the known world and followers of Jesus are trying to figure out how to live like Jesus in their day-to-day -day lives, okay? Just like you and I are doing. How does my faith impact my life and the things that I am doing in my life? For the first time, people of different races, of different backgrounds, of diff different political and social circles are coming together under the name of Jesus. And as you can imagine, there's some serious conflict between these people because they have lots of baggage that they're bringing in to this brand new thing called the church. These new Christians are trying to figure out how to live with each other and just as importantly, how to respond to and serve in a hostile culture. In fact, if you do a little research, you'll find that, that just uh, about nine years after Paul writes this letter to Rome, Rome burns, right? Nero is in the emperor of Rome. Rome burns. Almost the entire city is destroyed. And Nero blames the Christians. And it's at that time where the Colosseum sacrifices really kind of blow up because Christians by the hundreds are being filtered into the Colosseum and murdered. They're being fed to the sharks. I don't mean, they could flood the Colosseum and they put sharks in there. Pretty crazy. Miracle of, uh, of, of, of modern uh, engineering. But they would do some really gross stuff. They'd put Christians in the Colosseum and they'd send the gladiators out. And the Christians wouldn't have any weapons. 
They put Christians in there and they'd let the lions out. And the people would cheer and clap. This is a hostile situation for people of faith. Much like today, people were skeptical of others who were different from them. The political and the sexual and the religious landscape of the day was in direct opposition to the life Christians were trying to lead. Being a follower of Jesus was not seen in that culture as a benefit, okay? It was completely counter-cultural in Rome at the time. So here Paul is telling us how to interact with people in different circles in our lives, from those closest to us to those who we may not even really know. And I think you'll see that pretty clear as we go on. So I told you there's three sections. Let me break those down for you. He says, first, be devoted to one another. Okay? And, and, and so if you think about that as kind of you're in the center of this circle, you've got family and church family in the closest ring to you. And Paul says we're to be devoted to our family. And, and the reason I know that is because really the literal translation of that, that verse, be devoted to one another, is this. In Philadelphia, treat others like philostorgos, which, which I didn't say correctly, but it sounds impressive, right? It's a Greek word that, that, that means familial love. And so he says, in brotherly love, love other people like your family. That's what he's saying. So, so first, he says, be devoted to one another in this closest kind of circle. In, in, next, he says, live in harmony with one another. So there's another group, we'll call them friends, that we're to live in harmony with. And finally, he says, live at peace with everybody. And so there's this other group of people, we'll call it fellow man, that, that we may not even really know. But we're to live at peace, as much as it depends on uh, to, to us, to live at peace with them. In that day as our own, these rules for loving are completely countercultural and, and, and give us the point of the message today. And that's this. Love is supposed to change how we live. So this love from God, this love that's supposed to come from us, it's supposed to change how we live. It's supposed to change how we interact with other people. It's supposed to change our relationships, our relationships with our family and our church family, those people who are closest to us, our relationship with our friends and our, our neighbors, those people who live and, and, and work and function around us. And it's to change the way we live among people that we may not even really know who, who we're just going to call other people in the world. Supposed to change how we live. The love of God is seen in Jesus and our own understanding of what love actually is should change the way that we live. The Apostle John would later write this, we love God, or we, we love because God first loved us. So we as believers love because God first loved us and that love is supposed to change how we live. It shapes our attitudes and our behaviors in every aspect of our life and in every interaction with others. Love should have a bearing and an effect on that interaction. So let's go through how we are to show love to each circle in our lives starting with those closest to us. So in verse 10, Paul writes, be devoted to one another in 
love. Have brotherly love for those who are like in your family. And then he goes on to talk about what that looks like. He says, honor one another above yourselves. Keep your spiritual fire stoked up. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful in prayer. And if you, you know another believer is in need, you're supposed to share with, with what you have with them. And then he says, practice hospitality. Now, hospitality here is the, is the biblical practice of opening your home to others. So let me give you a um, counterexample to this kind of love and devotion that we're talking about. When I was a little kid, my dad was a, a preacher. A little, little church called uh, White City um, Christian Church. And this was like way back in the day. It was a little uh, town church and um, well, lots of people, a couple hundred people coming to church there at, at, at one time. But, but there was a, a couple in church that had been there, um, you know, like from the beginning. It was a church that had existed for a long time before my dad started preaching there. And, and I think Ed and Elizabeth Skinner probably were there, I, I don't know, from the day God created dirt. They'd just been there forever. And a really long time. And he was just kind of typical of, he was just like came across as this grumpy old man, all right? So one Sunday morning, we're coming into church and like it's time for church, it's 10 o'clock or whatever, everybody's there. Somebody pulls in the parking lot and notices that Ed and uh, Elizabeth are not at church and they think to themselves, like anybody would, um, they must not be coming this morning because they're normally here by this time. Church is about to start. They must be sick or something. And so he pulled into the parking spot that Ed Skinner usually parked in. About 10 minutes after church started, everybody's in church. Everybody's singing. It's great. And when the music dies down a little bit, we hear this, uh, 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 uh. Ed and Elizabeth had some car trouble. So they were a little bit late getting to church. And instead of just finding a parking spot, Ed pulls in behind this guy who's in his spot, which wasn't marked, by the way, and he honked until church stopped. Somebody went outside to see what was going on. Then they had to come back in. They had to find the culprit who horribly parked in Ed's spot, who had to get up, go outside, move his car so that Ed could pull in and come to church. That is a perfect example of not being devoted to those people in your church family, okay? It's not what you do. And I've seen that repeated over and over and over again. I've been to church for a long time. I remember being in church and sitting there when somebody walked in and went up to a first-time guest at church and said, excuse me, you're in my seat. Let me just tell you, let me just, I'll just clear the record here, make sure everybody understands. If you ever come into church and somebody who you don't know is sitting in your seat and you get mad, you're going to be lots madder because I'm going to be talking to you because we don't do that, all right? Now, I get you like to sit in, in about the same place and we get comfortable and we, and we li like, like I know Tracy and Lisa are going to be right here in front. I know that. They picked a good spot because like, Nobody wants to sit in front because I spit. So, um, so they got they got a pretty. So I get it. I I get that we like to be comfortable. We like to come and we got to have that kind of normalcy in church. And, and maybe things are a little crazy. I get it. I get it. But you better not ever ask somebody to move that you don't know. 
Because that's not being devoted. That's not showing love to somebody else. Just find another seat. It'll be okay. All right, can we move on? There are people in your family and in the church family who are hard to love. Paul says, be patient in affliction. There are those in your family, in the church family, who might be battling addiction. And Paul says, be joyful in hope. There are those involved in sin. And and Paul says, be faithful in prayer. And this is how Jesus treated those who were closest to him. He made sure that those around him, his, his disciple, those 12 men that were with him all the time, had it better than he did, even though he was God. He was joyful, he was patient, he was faithful, and he honored them above himself. And so love those closest to you by devoting yourself to them as you devote yourself to God. I think that's how I would summarize that that section of Scripture. Love those closest to you by devoting yourself to them as you devote yourself to God. I think your relationship with God is first, right? And if my relationship with God is good, then my relationship with those around me is going to be better. And so that's what Paul says. Keep this, keep this, in, like keep your spiritual fervor, keep your relationship to God, and then out of that relationship, deal with those around you. The next circle Paul deals with is our friends. He says, live in harmony with one another. And I think this is a different group of people because we're not to devote ourselves to this circle. He says we're simply to seek harmony with them. Let's call it equality instead of elevation. So in the first group, our family or our church family, we're to elevate other people above ourselves. I'm to give you the best seat. I'm to give you the best spot. I'm let you go first. But in this second circle, this farther out circle, he simply says, but be in harmony. Be in harmony. Now, now harmony is a a musical term. It's it's what some of the band does when they sing two different parts and they mesh together and it just sounds like, oh, it's just beautiful, you know. We like, we go, ooh, that's that's good. That's what he's talking about. Live together in in harmony. Don't put them ahead of you, but live with in, in harmony with them. These are the people that you spend time with, that you live with, that you work with. Um, uh, that, that, you, that you hang out with, okay? These are the friends that you're, that you're with. Now, maybe they're not your best friends, but they're your friends. They're your, they're your co-workers and things. This, this is who I would put in, in this group. The guy who calls the cops, maybe lives across the street from you, who calls the cops if he thinks somebody's trying to break into your house, but is also the guy who calls the city if your grass gets too high. Okay, that... <laughs> That's the difficult people to love sometimes. They're in like that friend. They're, we're neighbors. We know. If something goes on with them, we know about it. Um, but, but we're not really close. Like, I'm not to vote myself to you, but I'm to live in harmony with you. These are the ones you have the opportunity to rejoice with and mourn with because we know what's going on in their lives simply because of our proximity to them. Uh, Paul goes on, and I, I like what he says here. He says, don't be proud around them. But be willing to associate with people of low position. And this has, a, this has a double meaning, okay? There's two sides to this statement that he makes. He says, basically, first, don't look down on other people because of what they do. So if you have a better job, if you make more money, if you've got, whatever, you've got the nicest house on the block, don't look down on other people, your friends, because of what they do or because of how much money they make. Don't look down on others because of that. 
But don't be afraid to do what's needed if it helps somebody else out. So that's the other side of it. So don't look down on somebody because of what they do or how much they have. But instead, do whatever needs to be done to help them. Let me give you some examples. Uh, if there's a problem at church and a toilet gets backed up, fix it. Don't go to somebody and go, hey, uh, excuse me, you over there who has a job, is what you come do this. If there's a job that needs to be done, you, you just do it. Okay? And what, then, then toilet, shovel and snow, whatever. If there's something that needs to be done, do it. Live in, live in harmony with them. Don't look down on them. Simply be a servant. Just love them. He follows this up by saying, don't be conceited. And so he says, don't exalt yourself over, over others because you think they're somehow below you. By the way, God hates favoritism, so that's what we're talking about. And then he says, don't seek your own good when you have the chance to do good to someone else. So if you and somebody else are at the same position here, and something good is going to happen, don't always work it out so the good thing happens to you. Don't elevate yourself above them and be proud over your position. And don't make it so you always get the best stuff. Don't be proud, don't be conceited. That's how we avoid that. So we break this down this way. Love those who are in your circle of friends by getting along with them. Not looking down on those who, don't, who you don't think are as good as you. Third circle. Paul mentions here this other group of people that I'm going to classify as just fellow man. These are just people that you, you have maybe some interaction with. They're around. They live in your community, whatever. But you're not like friends. You don't know their name necessarily. They're just around. Paul says this. To the extent that you can achieve it, live at peace with them. Notice that it isn't a one another statement like the, the last two. Okay? So he says, he doesn't say be devoted to one another. He doesn't say live in harmony with one another. He simply says live at peace. Live at peace with everyone. Like that's a pretty general, easy to follow kind of statement. Here, instead of blessing those who persecute us, we're simply not repaying evil with evil. And we're, not, uh, and we're doing our best to do what's right in front of everybody who might be watching. See, your um, reputation is a reflection of God's character. Whether others know that you're a Christian or not. If you're a believer... Your reputation is a reflection of God's character. So we're to love those in this furthest circle of mankind by simply doing our best to live at peace with them. Find common ground instead of fighting for ground in those relationships. So uh, let me break this down. It's our love that causes people to notice our Lord. It's our love that causes people to notice our Lord. If we want them to notice our Savior, if they want them to come to church, if we want them to be able to see Jesus, then we have to love. And, and, and it's not, we're not talking about Eros love, like don't go across the street, right? 
Not talking about that kind of love. We're talking about this, we're talking about this agape love that's unconditional love. These people who are outside of our family or our church family, we're to love them not because of who they are or what they do, but because God loves us. And, and that love flows through us. So it's our love that causes people to notice our Lord. And if we're not acting in love, if we're not acting in love, we're not attracting others to Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, that's like, that's the thing we're supposed to Love God, love others. Why? So the kingdom might grow. So that more people might be able to experience the life-saving grace of God in Jesus. If we're not acting in love, we're not attracting other people to Him. So Paul gives us this overarching principle. He says, love must be sincere. And so it's got to be from the heart. It's not a fake situation. In fact, Paul goes on to say, your love needs to be sincere and you should hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That's how you love. But too many Christians today are clinging to a worldly version of love that's, that's twisted at its core. It's, it's self-pleasing. It's self gratifying and we behave as though we hate the kind of love with which God loves us because we reject it as impossible or impractical in our culture and, and lives and so we get love twisted because we go we can't love like that I can't separate this this love don't tell me who like this we don't I don't understand it I don't get it and so we have a difficult time with this because we reject this idea of unconditional agape love as though it's impossible or impractical in our culture. So here's the rules. For loving your family and the, the church family. For, for, for loving your friends in that circle. And for loving just everybody else in the world. And now that you know the rules of love... When you apply them, you'll find out that love rules. And it changes everything. It changes how you relate to each and every person in every circle around you. So I think we got to ask ourselves, is what I'm doing loving? Am I expressing love to others in the things that I'm doing? Am I being devoted or am I being divisive? Am I seeking harmony or am I stoking hate? Am I fostering peace? Or am I fueling frustration? And then based on the answer to those questions, you've got to change course if your love isn't sincere. Because love should change how you live. And it should, it should be different from the love of those who live around you. So here's the love challenge this week. Surprise someone with love in the next six days. If you have until Saturday, surprise someone with love. Someone who's a part of your family, somebody who's in that friend circle, or, or just your fellow man. Do something that expresses devotion or harmony or peace, regardless of what they've done to you. Buy a coffee for somebody behind you. Give some encouragement to someone around you. Here, here's probably the most difficult way to express this and reserved only for the most mature believers in Christ. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, don't tailgate them. 
And don't just not tailgate them or whip around them and get in front so they know how it feels. Pray for them. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I pray for them every time. I pray, Lord, please put a cop at the next stop. (laughs) Don't pray that prayer. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. If you got a sticker on your car that says real life, you better not be flipping them off, number one. (laughs) Number two, don't try and get in this, live at peace with them. And and three, pray for them. Pray for their family, because maybe they're a jerk to their family too. Pray for, pray for their safety. God, would you get them where they're going safely? God, would you help them meet Jesus? Pray for them. Look, if we don't love, we're not following Jesus. We're not looking like Jesus. And others won't notice Jesus. But if we really love like Jesus, it will change the world. Practice makes permanent. So practice love by treating everyone in every one of those circles better than they expect. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Would you help us to love others? Not, not, just, so, not just for our benefit, for their benefit, but but so that they might see your son Jesus in us. And that they might experience the same real life and, and, and real hope and, and real love that we've experienced from you. God, we want to share your love with others so that they might know what love is and they might know you through your son Jesus. So God, help us to love. Help us to love. Help us to love in ways that change how we live. Help us to treat those people in in every circle in our lives better than they expect to be treated. God, help us change the world. We change how we love. Thanks for that, God. Thanks for loving us in Jesus' name. Amen.